It's it's like and and you're so I mean that's one of the things I think I find so inspiring about Bruce is that he just doesn't repeat himself, you know, like and it would be so easy, right? It would be so easy for him to just churn out, you know, uh, similar songs to what he's always done and not to push himself into new, you know, either musical or thematic territory. But it's the fact that he's also diversified his skill set even outside of music. I mean, you know, projects like the Western Stars film, you know, he'd never done anything like that before. And that was so fascinating because there was just even even I was watching and I was like, I don't know how to explain this because it's not quite documentary. It's not quite mood piece. It's not quite a concert film, but it's kind of all of those things. And and yet somehow it coheres into something that totally works. I mean, similar to Broadway, where, you know, it's again, it's not not quite TED talk, not quite concert, not quite stage show. But it's all of those things, and yet somehow it just comes together and it works. And the fact that Bruce has done Western Stars, the fact he's done Broadway, the fact that he's done the autobiography, the fact that he's challenging himself creatively constantly, that's what I think keeps him so vital. And the fact that, you know, with Western Stars, he'd never done an album like Western Stars before. And then Let It To You Again was was a totally different thing. And I find that so immensely inspiring like the prospect of reaching this point in your career where nobody would blame you for resting on your laurels and yet you don't let you just keep challenging yourself you keep putting new stuff out there you keep creating and you keep vibrant Welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is a third-time guest. We are definitely timey-wimey today. It is my night, his afternoon. Gabriel Bergmeiser is joining me again. Gabriel, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Uh, so just in case someone has never... Uh, listen to the earlier episodes. Tell us a little about yourself. So I'm from Melbourne, uh, Australia, obviously. Um, I'm an author, a playwright, so I predominantly, you know, do theatre stuff working here in Melbourne, but uh, I've just had a book come out recently, The Hunted with HarperCollins, um, which was released right, uh, actually, funnily enough, in July, right as Melbourne went back into a hard lockdown after a couple of months of already a hard lockdown. We had like two weeks off and I was kind of gearing up for, you know, the book tour and the big release and everything. And then, you know, COVID reared its ugly head yet again. But um, but yeah, so, you know, I that's that's, I guess, my my day job. And that's what I do with with most of my life. But I'm yeah. also a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. We actually we got to know each other through the podcast a couple of years ago when I wrote a play about Bruce Springsteen, which was later adapted into a radio play, which is available worldwide. Uh, so, you know, as you can tell, to, to go to those lengths, you have to be pretty, pretty madly passionate about um, about a subject. And and yeah, I've, I've always been, you know, from from pretty much the moment I first listened to Born to Run in its entirety, I've just been on this, you know, ongoing journey of increasing obsession with basically everything Bruce Springsteen does. You know, he's he's probably my creative hero. Yeah, what's interesting, right, is yeah, I had stumbled across – I can't remember who sent it my way or something, but uh, Gabriel did do an audio play, which is basically Bruce interacting with different people at key moments in his life. And, um, and it's a fascinating play. And uh with you know with mike appel and and different characters in his life and i really liked it and so i reached out to you and we had a great conversation and then like a year or two later we just kind of caught up again and so i was really pleased because just a day or two you know you shot me an email and said hey um i don't know if you have you know how many people you've had yet talking about the new album but i have thoughts and I want to know, can I share them with you? And I said, oh, absolutely. So uh, so we kind of worked through our times, and so I'm so glad that we're going to talk about it. So, yes, a big part of our discussion is going to be Letter to You. But in the meantime, you mentioned having a mini lockdown. Um, I've, had, I've, I've had people from South Africa. I've had people from the U.K. 
I've had people from Europe talking to me, but I have not yet had someone from Australia. So talk to me about how has COVID-19 been treating you? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess, you know, we, I, I don't want to use that, that cursed word unprecedented because, you yeah. know, everybody seems to bring it up. But, yeah. but it was so strange because, you know, I mean, at the start of the year, my partner and I went to Austria and spent a few weeks over there with some, with some family. And that was probably at the point where it was really starting to erupt. And, you know, my grandparents were, you know, watching the news every night and you could hear the case numbers getting higher and higher. But Australia sort of seemed more or less OK. And, and it was interesting because there was there was definitely a stark change in those three weeks and how people spoke about it, because when when we left for Austria at, in late February, it was it was, you know, it was serious and the case numbers were growing and everything. But I don't think anyone in Australia really took it seriously yet. And then. You know, when we got the plane back, you know, every few minutes there's announcements on the plane being like, make sure you fill this out, make sure you fill this out. If you have these symptoms, you know, this, this, like in that three week period, I think that was when particularly for Australian people, it started to be like, oh, no, it's it's happening. And, you know, the case numbers were starting to grow and everything. And we actually had this experience where we'd been organizing a play reading of a new script of mine uh, for mid-March and the, the thinking behind it was, uh, and it's funny because I mean, funny is the wrong word, but it's it's strange how this catastrophic thing that started our year now feels so distant. But we had horrific bushfires uh, at the end of last year and at the start of this year, and you know, like massive, massive amounts, huge amounts of wildlife killed, you know, horrifying. And we were doing a play reading where all of the money for this play that was performed by actors, like uh, I guess a rehearsed read is what you'd call it, where they act out the play, but they have scripts in hand. And we did it at one of the Melbourne cinemas and all of the money was going to, to the wildlife affected by it. But really up until the last minute, I think it was the 17th of March, we put it on. We didn't know if we were going to have to cancel or not because everywhere around Melbourne, you know, theaters were closing down left, right and center. I think, we were maybe the last theater show to actually go on in yeah. Melbourne before we went to lockdown. But, you know, really up until that last minute, we were, we were really unsure and we, we didn't know if the cinema were going to pull the plug on the day. Uh, we didn't know sort of, and, and even at the time, you know, I, I admit to being dismissive of it then because I was thinking, Oh, you know, everyone's being alarmist and we were all saying that, but then it testament to just, I guess, how, how undiscriminating, how ruthless this virus is within days from there, you know, the cases started ballooning, things started getting really bad and pretty much all of Australia went to a hard lockdown and that lasted a little while. And then it slowly all started to lift and everything started to creep back to normal, but we had a second wave in Melbourne. So every other state was more or less fine. They managed it. Okay. But without going into the politics of it, uh, our local government botched their program for dealing with, with returning travelers and quarantine and all kinds of stuff. And there was a second outbreak. And so Melbourne has been in a hard lockdown. You know, there was a curfew. We couldn't go outside for more than an hour. It was eventually expanded to two hours. We couldn't go within, go beyond five kilometers of our homes. And, uh, and, you know, so we, we were in hard lockdown really up until two days ago when it was finally lifted. And even then, you know, with immense restrictions. So it, it's been weird because, you know, we, Early on, I think a lot of people were trying to find ways to to make content or to you know to 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 make lemons with this particularly yeah. horrific lemonade we've been given. And myself and my friends in my theatre company, we had a few different projects we were working on because we were thinking, what can we do while socially distanced? And so we uh, we did a, we got a grant from the city of Melbourne to do a podcast, uh, which in which we sort of interviewed a lot of major players in the Melbourne theatre scene, and that was that was kind of really really energizing, really exciting, really interesting, but it probably wouldn't have any appeal to anyone outside the Melbourne theater scene. But we also did a web series, you know, we did a mystery web series based around uh, Zoom calls, essentially, where it's a girl who's living in Germany. She finds out that her ex-boyfriend has gone missing back in Australia. She knows something about what's happened to him. And so every episode is her contacting a different person from her past. And bit by bit, the mystery will unfold. So we spent a lot of the lockdown working on that, you know, all the actors filmed their parts remotely. Uh, we did all the writers rooms remotely. So it was like a team of Melbourne writers, uh, the director, Peter Blackburn, who I've worked with a couple of times, he sort of had to handle directing the whole thing kind of from a distance and doing it all through a computer screen. So, so that was a really fascinating project that kind of kept, kept me in a lot of, I guess, my close circle 
you know, engaged for at least the first lockdown, but the second one was just miserable because by that point, you know, I don't think anybody had any real inspiration left to kind of, you know, to to be like, oh, let's turn this into like making something creative or exciting. You know, I think all of those lockdown projects that people were were doing at the start just kind of start to dissipate because it got to the point where everyone was like, all right, we are well and truly over this. Can it end? And of course, you know, it didn't. Case numbers kept ballooning, ballooning, but finally, you know, touch wood, because obviously things can change so rapidly, as we've seen all over the world. It looks like, you know, we're 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 creeping towards okay here in Melbourne. So hopefully it stays that way. So I heard this and it's it's not funny, but I think it is funny. Um, And I I, I wish I could give credit who I'm borrowing this some, but I, I saw somewhere someone said that 2020 is proof that time travel exists. And the reason why is, um, like, there were, there was talk about murder hornets, like, when in the U.S. there were going to be murder hornets, and all of a sudden they went away. But then something else happened. And they said the proof is someone keeps going back in time to fix it and keeps making it worse. Like, yeah, right? Yeah, like, they go point, back right. in time to the bushfires, and this is horrible. We're losing this, so we've got to go fix that. But they fix that, but then they make the, the COVID happen. And then, like, we do this, and then something else happens. And it just every time someone tries to make it better, it gets worse. And yeah. I, I, I love the idea because it does seem this um, – in a lot of ways, 2020 has been – you know, a, a pessimist, you know, proof of concept. Like when a pessimist says it can always get worse. Oh, no, no, no. You know, and the pessimist's like, told you, told you. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, 100%. Um, so I've been saying um, when, you know, starting, I'm going to have my dates wrong, but let's say September, right? When, Whenever we start hearing this rumor that there's going to be a new Bruce album, you know, um, and then you, um, then there's the rumor like it's going to be in October. It's going to be a new October. So I started saying, if I get a new Springsteen album in October, a new president in November, maybe 2020 will be pulled out of the crapper. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm not saying it'd be a good year, but I'm saying maybe, maybe. And there is this great scene in the HBO maxi series from earth to the moon. And, uh, there is a, one of the episodes dealt with 1968 and how the, one of the Apollo missions circled the moon and they had a, the first picture from space of earth and the astronaut reads from, uh, Genesis. And there is a scene where mission control, says to the astronauts that someone sent a telegram saying you saved 1968 you've redeemed 1968 so i don't know a new bruce album is enough to redeem 1968 but it at least is a ray of sunshine um at least in my mind and um to not get to too much politics and if we get a new president election in november um and new doctor who in december I, i've said if i can get a new i get a new springsteen album in october new president in november and i get a new doctor who episode in december maybe q4 is not the worst year yeah, in yeah. Offer. well you would you would sort of think that by this point the year owes it to us right like exactly yeah something to i mean because yeah i had um I was kind of celebrating the fact that I had new Bruce album and a new Tana French. Tana French is my favorite author. You know, she's, she's probably one of the other people who I, I sort of look to with as much love and fervor or I adore everything she does on, you know, a similar level to Bruce Springsteen. And the the two came out in the same week for me. So that was, that was sort of like, all right, look, you know, at least, at least this little chunk of time is, is, is a good one in this, in this year. And what's, what's her writer? What's her name? Oh, Tana French. She's a mystery writer. So she's an Irish, Irish American, actually, mystery writer. And she writes crime mysteries that are unlike anything else I've ever read before. Okay. Like they're, they're structured like whodunits, but they are so beautifully and evocatively written and they're so character driven. And they, they, the way they play with perspective and perception and all of these ideas and all of her books, similar to Bruce, how, how I guess, I was, and we'll talk more about this in a sec, I guess, but you know, I, I've been thinking about how 
it is so amazing that, you know, within just over a year, he can release two albums as vastly different and singular as Western Stars and Letter to You, and yet they both are unmistakably him. That's that same quality Tana French has, where all of her books are totally individual, totally separate, totally works in their own right, and yet they couldn't have been written by anyone apart from her. So having having new work from her and Bruce, and particularly good new work from both of them, was a real gift at this time of year. That that's that's kind of funny, um, and I do think it is amazing that, um, and and I just had a guy on the podcast, Daniel, and he shared this that, and I talked to my buddy Sam. We went to lunch today. Um, you know, we we wore masks, we're, we're socially distanced, you know, and um, and Daniel's told the story that in he went to the reunion concert like in 99 and he says he was sitting there you know in the pit standing in the pit and going this is it you know they, they've been gone all this time they've come back Bruce's toured with them this is kind of the exclamation point on the Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band career maybe we'll get every few years They'll do another tour. You know, maybe they'll be the Eagles, but gosh, I hope they don't become the Beach Boys where they're just an oldie act playing. He said, and he says, if I could go back and tell that guy, you have the rising to look forward to. You have magic looking forward to. You have the Seeger Sessions, Wrecking Ball, and, you know... (laughs) Western Stars and Letter to You. You have another 20 years of Bruce Springsteen magic of not playing the same thing, doing new and creative things. He said I he would not believe it. I could if I told my former self he would like no, there's no way I could see that. It's it's like and and you're so I mean that's one of the things I think I find so inspiring about Bruce is that He just doesn't repeat himself, you know, like, and it would be so easy, right? It would be so easy for him to just churn out, you know, uh, similar songs to what he's always done and not to push himself into new, you know, either musical or thematic territory. But it's the fact that he's also diversified his skill set even outside of music. I mean, you know, projects like the Western Stars film, you know, he'd never done anything like that before. And that was so fascinating because there was just even even I was watching it and I was like, I don't know how to explain this because it's not quite documentary. It's not quite mood piece. It's not quite a concert film, but it's kind of all of those things. And, and yet somehow it coheres into something that totally works. I mean, similar to Broadway where, you know, it's yes. again, it's not, not quite Ted talk, not quite concert, not quite stage show, but it, it's all of those things. And yet somehow it just comes together and it works. And the fact that Bruce has done Western Stars, the fact he's done Broadway, the fact that he's done the autobiography, the fact that he's challenging himself creatively constantly, that's what I think keeps him so vital. And the fact that, you know, with Western Stars, he'd never done an album like Western Stars before. And then Letter to You again was a, was a totally different thing. And I find that so immensely inspiring like the prospect of reaching this point in your career where nobody would blame you for resting on your laurels and yet you don't let you just keep challenging yourself you keep putting new stuff out there you keep creating and you keep vibrant and you know i mean i i wasn't you know i was i was i was a child in 99 and i was i was a few years off discovering bruce but you know in retrospect i can totally see how you could look at that moment as as something summational or look at the rising even and and the release of that and the context of the release of that as kind of this you know powerful last hurrah but it just hasn't been and that's why you know when people have been saying oh let it you kind of feels like a a goodbye note or a last album and you know i I don't i don't think that's the case at all i don't think there's I, i don't i think all it takes is you looking at the documentary to kind of go no bruce has a lot left to say you know there's still so much vibrancy and so much passion and I think as long as, you know, I guess, I guess the muse speaks to him, he's going to keep doing stuff. And that, to me, is so inspiring. You know, Gabriel, there, when Letter to You first came out, um, a someone sent me – I had sent out an email to people, hey, what do you think? And someone responded that, oh, it, 
it sounded horrible. It, it's a it it's a rehash of things he used to do. Doing an album in five days. I remember when he used to take five months to work on one song. You know, surprised me, and I kind of let that discussion go. But I've discussed this with you other people, saying. Um, I think at this point, Bruce has, done, has earned the right to do whatever he wants. And so Western Stars, he explored a different genre and a different, with a different, you know, that feeling of the orchestra and the kind of the band. And I said, why wouldn't you, as a creative person, right, you've, you've done Broadway, you've done Western Stars, why wouldn't you say to the E Street Band, okay, guys, you know, instead of us doing this, let's, let's try something new. What what can we do if we get us all together? And um, right, like someone just told me the story that supposedly it was either Gary or or um, you know Gary or Stephen or Roy. It might have been Roy said, "Hey, Bruce, let's not try to beat the demo." Like lately, you know, like we we come into the studio, you play us the demo, and it's like, okay, beat that. You know, like we we're already trying to have to beat what you've already done. Instead, you know, he just played the songs on his guitar, and they all got to be creative. Like, okay, well, what could I do with that? Um, and I think it was really great that he let Tom Zimini, because you did get to see a little bit of the creative process of them working on this together. And um, I, I can imagine from your perspective, because you know you were just sharing about doing a writer's room by Zoom, or you're doing this creative process, right? A lot of the joy of working in theater, or with with music, or, or film, or that is the creative process of talking to it and working things out. I know you're a novelist too, so you do some work solo, but I know that that group concept stretches different muscles that you enjoy. And I know that was a rambling question, but <laughs> no, but well, I, no, but I think it's spot on. And, and I definitely find that because I've worked in quite a few, particularly over the last year, I've worked in quite a few TV writers rooms. And I mean, writers rooms are great because it's a whole bunch of people who know what they're doing, throwing their ideas into the ring and, and developing the story. And, you know, you throw something in and you say, okay, what if this happens? And somebody else says, okay, all right, but hang on, that doesn't really make sense. And like I did a writer's room last year that was was really it was great but it was challenging because there was this one guy in there who just seemed to shoot down every single idea i had and i was getting really frustrated but then i started to realize i was like hang on no that's not what he's doing he's being like prove it to me he's being like he's almost doing that beat the demo thing he's like he's, he's he goes he, he was challenging every he was challenging every idea because he was like if this idea is going to make it into the show it has to hold water and he was kind of challenging me to fight for the idea because, you know, and, and consequently, it meant that like certain ideas that weren't fully developed or thought through got weeded out, which which is something that you don't have the luxury of when you're writing a novel. You know, yes. I, mean, I just got the notes back on, on my new book and my publisher has been, you know, and I knew she would be, but she's been very, very harsh on it. Like she's kind of gone through and she's been like, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. And it's moments like that where you think, God, I, I would love to have a writer's room for a novel. You know, I would love to yes. have like a team around me to bounce <laughs> the ideas off and everything, because, you know, like. It, it's something I, I learned from um, from my years in criticism, you know, of, of uh, doing doing film criticism podcasts and doing uh, writing writing film and TV reviews and everything. Was that it, it's incredibly easy to to see what's missing from something or to see what something needs when you're looking at it from the outside. But when you're doing it by yourself and you're trying to make the thing happen, it's a whole other kettle of fish. You know, you yeah. you, you miss the obvious and all of that. So so no, I mean, I, I think it. I think it's really great that that the process of Letter to You was was, you know, Bruce not laying down the demo first and kind of preempting how it was supposed to sound, but being like, here's the most bare bones version of the song, and now let's all put in everything we've got. And I mean, we'll come to the documentary probably in a bit, I would imagine. But that was maybe one thing I was a bit disappointed about in the documentary was that I probably wanted more of that. Like I wanted to see more of the process and you know, there were there were glimpses of it, but to me, it just felt a little bit like like it couldn't quite decide if it was a behind-the-scenes documentary or if it was Western Stars 2, you know, if it was the stories behind think, the songs, the performances. So I, I think that is a fair 
criticism or um ron moore who did battlestar galactica and outlander he'll he did a behind the scenes podcast and he would he would bring up the fact that well if you think this um or we kind of cheated the story or the story didn't pay off you know he'd say i think that's a fair point i think that's a fair get um and i think that is because i felt some of the same thing like the when little steven said i don't think you need the chorus here um i think if we just go through this this you know i wanted to actually would have liked to heard them play it with the chorus where it was and then okay now then let's hear it the second time with the other thing and then to say oh yeah that is better um but that might make for a more dry documentary versus that you know you may not have the story may not have flowed but yes i i I exactly had the same thought i loved the film was very happy with it but i did have that man i would have liked to seen a little bit more of of this you know and it was yeah it was funny because if you'd asked me before i saw the doco what i wanted from it i I 100 percent wanted western stars too like because i i loved I actually found with West because I think the last time we spoke, we talked about Western Stars, but I don't think I'd seen the film at that point. Okay. I think right. it was yet to come out. So Because I actually saw the film Western Stars in L.A. I was in L.A. last year for a bunch of meetings okay. uh, surrounding the, the film adaptation of The Hunted, and on the first night I was there, you know, we were fighting off jet lag, but I realized that the Chinese theatre was showing Western Stars. And I was like, how do I turn down this opportunity? Because yes. it wasn't it wasn't coming out for another couple of months in Australia. So I convinced my friend who who was over there for his own meetings to, you know, to fight off jet lag a little bit longer and come out to, you know, to Hollywood Boulevard and go to the Chinese theater and watch Western Stars with me. And it was so special. Like it was such a great way to kind of, you know, kick off that week. This oh, yeah. Crazy what week a, in L.A. that yeah. I had, particularly like, you know, the whole week after I was sitting there listening to the Rhinestone Cowboy cover, like as my soundtrack for the week. Yes. It was awesome. <laughs> but, you know. I just thought there was this magic to Western Stars. Even my friend, who's not really a Bruce Springsteen fan, he felt the same way because it was so unique. And somehow the uh, what, what I felt about Western Stars, the film, was that in some ways it unlocked the album for me. So I, I really had liked the album. I said as much when we spoke uh, last time. And, you know, there were certain songs on that, that album that I think are all time is, you know, I think Chasing Wild Horses is is one of the most beautiful songs Bruce Springsteen has ever written. And that's saying something. Yes. But. To me, like those versions of the songs and hearing the stories that set them up and preempted them enrich the whole album. And then you add in the visuals and you add in actually seeing the orchestra and you add in like seeing how those songs work live. And to me, it was so that was that was magical. You know, I mean, if we couldn't see it live, like getting to see it like that was really great. You know, then I went and saw it again at IMAX when it came out in Australia with a couple of other friends who actually were involved in the stage production from 2017. But so. So, yeah, when they announced that they were doing a letter to you film, I was really relieved because I was like, you know, after Western Stars, I was thinking, God, I wish he'd done this for every album, you know, like yes. to tell the stories behind the songs and to give us, you know, to lift the curtain and say, this is where the song came from. This is what I was talking about. And with the film, Letter to you, you know, I, I, similar to you, Jesse, I enjoyed it, but I think it, it lacked a little bit in the fact that the versions of the songs that we saw performed were with a couple of very slight differences, basically the same versions on the albums. Right. Uh, you know, cause they'd been, they'd been, they, they weren't the raw in the studio cuts. They were, they were mixed and everything. And, you know, we got the glimpses of behind the scenes and we got the little glimpses of where the songs had come from and all of that. But, I think I kind of came out of the film being like, look, you know, I really like, I think I probably have a similar philosophy to you, Jesse. And I've, I've seen you have these conversations online where, you know, your approach, and I think mine is very similar is that I'll take anything Bruce Springsteen and I'm not, I'm just happy that we're getting Bruce, you know, I, exactly. I don't, I'm not going to, I don't need Bourne to run again because I wouldn't want him to try to repeat that point. A, I, I really find what he's doing now really enriching and really fascinating and really satisfying but when all was said and done, you know, I mean, I still listen like High Hopes is my least favorite Bruce Springsteen album, but that didn't stop me listening to it heaps when it came out. You know, exactly. and I think there's good stuff in there. So, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, I, I really enjoyed the film, but I kind of came out of it thinking it was stuck somewhere between doing the Western Stars thing again, but 
also being a behind the scenes thing, but in the end it didn't do enough for, for me to, to be fully successful. It didn't really do enough of either of those. It didn't really give us enough behind the scenes to really give us that insight. But then with the, the fact that the performance of the songs weren't these different live ones done in this particular space, they weren't different enough from what was on the album to, to, to enrich it in a hugely meaningful way, I thought. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, ultimately, you know, I, I'm so glad we got it. I'm so glad we got that. You know, I, I love the fact that we got that. We got that fantastic Apple interview that he did, uh, the hour-long one. Isn't that, that an amazing well, interview? That's so good. Yes. I was, oh, I, I like, the stuff that he said, I mean, that, that, oh, I, I was, I was so moved by that interview and I found it just so fascinating and so insightful and just, you know, so that plus the documentary plus the album, I mean, like what a treat for anybody who, who yeah. likes this guy, right? So yeah, I was, once again, I'm talking to my buddy Sam today and he's like, oh, I, I don't want to listen to an interview. He says, you know, I just, I don't want to say anything bad. And I'm like, oh, let me finish. I said, I will tell you what I told Terry Smith. I said, we were talking about this for one of the podcast episodes. At times, Bruce can be a very bad interview. I think he laughs at his own jokes. He seems self-conscious talking about himself. But for some reason, this guy, and I'd never heard of him, uh, but they they got an, they got a discussion where Bruce was just sharing and, and he was relaxed. Yes. Like, and that was the key thing. And I said, and Sam, when he's talking about Nebraska and he picks up the guitar and says, yeah, this, oh, is, this guitar I used, though I wrote Nebraska, and he plays a few chords. And Sam's like, okay, now I have to watch the interview. <laughs> right? Yeah, yes. yeah. Like, at that moment, because it, it was so throwaway, and he was just like, oh, yeah, here's the guitar I wrote Nebraska on. And, and then when he that, – that fascinating thing he spoke about how – which and I, it rang really true for me where he talks about the idea that this instrument – you know, this instrument was the Nebraska instrument, but after that, you know, it didn't really – it didn't really have a purpose anymore. And like, I, cause I feel that way about like, like writing locations, you know, cause I, yes. pretty much everything I write, I'll write in a different place. There, there are some places I go back to again and again, but I'll find that certain places work for certain stories. But then when I'll try to like, for example, the state library in Melbourne, you know, there was this cafe I wrote one play in or whatever, but then I would try to go back and write something else in that place and it wouldn't work in the same way. And that's not to say that, you know, every single word of every given book or play or whatever, could only be written in one place because that wouldn't be practical. But it's to say that there are places that really unlock certain works and really, I guess, gel creatively with what you're trying to do that then won't work for other things. You know, they've kind of served their purpose and you have to sort of move somewhere else for it. So when he was talking about that with with the guitar, you know, I, that really struck a chord. But then just the, the ease with which he just picks it up, starts playing it and the interviewer whose name escapes me now, a Kiwi guy, you know, you saw the look on his face where he's like, holy shit, I'm watching Bruce Springsteen play me the opening chords of Nebraska yes. on the guitar on which he wrote Nebraska. And I was like, he's all of us right now. You know, yes, he's, he is. he's kind of, yeah, it was. It, was, it was fantastic. I adored that interview so much. So I'm going to throw you back. Let's so, you know, you're, you're starting hearing words you know, noise about a new album. What is your thoughts? What, what, the, walk me through that kind of process because, and then I, you know, I want to lead it to once you started hearing the songs and when you got the full album. Well, I mean, look, we, we've all been burnt before, right? You know, I yes. mean, how long was Western Stars rumored before it came out? Right. So when the rumors started, I was, I guess with, with all things Bruce related, I tend to err on the side of, hopeful blind optimism which is what i did in this case i was thinking you know give us another album this year please and to be fair he had been talking about having written songs for the east street band and the idea that he wanted to go on tour again so it wasn't you know totally out of the blue the idea that there would be another album this year so i was i was definitely you know cautiously optimistic but you, you always wonder like what the covid shaped spanner that's been thrown in everyone's works exactly. has that made a huge difference to, to plans or whatever so I was, yeah, but, you know, I was looking forward to it and I was waiting and then, you know, the word came out, the album was confirmed and uh, the, the songs were confirmed and then I started to get apprehensive because, as I mentioned before, my least favourite Springsteen album is High Hopes and the last time 
he brought out two works so close together, it was Wrecking Ball and High Hopes. And Wrecking Ball is one of my all-time favorite Bruce Springsteen albums. You know, I was, I, I love Wrecking Ball so much. I think it's so distinct. It's so energetic. It's so powerful. Some of the songs in there, like the title song, but also, you know, We Are Alive is one of my favorites. I, you know, yeah. I adore that. And then when High Hopes came out and it was this collection of covers and, uh, and sort of reworked songs and, you know, old songs kind of cobbled together without much of a cohesive theme, I was sort of like, oh, you know, I, I, one of the things I really appreciate about Bruce is that he really, he doesn't just make a collection of songs, he makes an album that is almost like a short story anthology collected around a certain theme or idea or style or whatever it may be. And Wrecking Ball was that and Western Stars was absolutely that. And so when they were saying, oh, this is going to come out soon, but not only is it coming out so quick on the heels of Western Stars, but it's going to include three 70s songs, I was sort of thinking, oh, no, like, is, is this going to be High Hopes too? You know, is this going to be this this kind of grab bag of, of kind of off-cut songs and old ones that didn't really fit anywhere else? And I, I did have that apprehension. And then, then the single... Let it to you. The first song comes out, and that that was funny because you know I saw it had been it was going to come out that night, and I stayed up until midnight. You know I stayed up sitting at my kitchen table doing my jigsaw puzzle, and then you know I kind of got caught up in the puzzle. Then I realized that it was past midnight, and I had that jolt of being like, "You Bruce!" And so I put the song on, and I was sort of like, "Okay," like similar to I guess to how I felt when uh, when um, uh, we take care of our own came out, or when. When um, Radio uh, Hello Sunshine, yeah, yeah you know, Hello it was Sunshine, that, that yeah. feeling of being like, yeah, that feeling of like, okay, look, this is good, you know, it, it's new Bruce. But I tend to find that a lot of Bruce's songs really come alive when you see them in the context of the whole. And so I, it's it's become quite a common thing for me that like the first release single is never the one that I kind of, that really energizes or excites me. But I always kind of, I've learned by now to to wait until I've heard the whole album to kind of work out where it sits and how it how it coheres the whole, you know? So I, I, I right there with you. In fact, uh, Ken Rosen was, when we were talking about this, he said that um, he was actually a little worried because, like, Letter to You was good, but he was like, well, you know, maybe maybe there's a little something off his fastball, you know, to use the baseball yeah, analogy. Yeah, yeah. And then when he heard Ghosts, he went, okay, wait, no, no, ghost is yeah. that. You know, the yeah. other thing I wanted to mention is, um, boy, and I, I can't believe how often I'm mentioning Sam in this discussion, but Sam has that same theory. He said, you you have magic, then you have working on the dream. Like, great, eh, not so good, right? You know, uh, wrecking ball, eh, then, you know, uh, high hopes. And not, and, and all, of, you know, and like he says, each of them, there is songs that you certainly can enjoy, but you, you've, you've, it's almost like you have a wave up and then you a little dip a wave up. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I could, I had not thought of that, but I think that's a realistic concern to have, um, and especially because Western Stars was so different. Um, yes. You know, you felt like, wow, this is, and in, in a lot of ways. And I think we may have talked about that when we discussed, right? It, in the spirit of Nebraska, this truly is a collection of short stories. This yes, could be, you know, Elmore Leonard, Zane Gray, Louis L'Amour, whatever you want. These Western Stars is a collection of little bitty tales set in the West of, of very interesting people. And, um, and, and he had shared so much of himself, it, you know, in, I know we talked about this last time that with the autobiography, Broadway, and then Western Stars, you're like, there's a trilogy of him telling his life to us. Yeah, and, absolutely. And the idea that, um, and I, I didn't, I didn't connect this till he started doing press. You know, he's he's said for a long time he is in a lifelong conversation with his audience, and. You know, the novel, his autobiography was a different way to have a conversation. Broadway is a different conversation. Um, I don't know if you've been able to get any of the Sirius XM E Street Radio uh, DJ sessions he's done during this, during the pandemic. I don't know if you've got to hear any of them. 
No, we for for whatever reason I haven't been able to. I've, obviously, I've tried to, but yeah. due to geo blocking and all kinds yeah. of things, um, I've heard bits and pieces, you know, snippets yeah. that make their way online. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So they they are really something special, um, and uh, the writer Ron Marks was on the show, and he he said the best line. He said, "We we know he is a great storyteller, so why are we surprised that he is able to tell a story?" By using other people's songs and his words, why why sh- why would we be shocked? Of course, yeah, he can of tell course, at stories. this point. So uh, yeah, so um, so you're you're cop you're you're optimistic, but also at the same time, okay, do we have the the second album? You know, yeah, the, the, coming. Um... Yeah, so so I was in that, but then similar to what you were just saying with with your friend, I had that with Ghosts because the yeah. moment uh, Ghosts like and Ghosts, I remember, I think he announced on Twitter and he had the old photo of him in the Castiles, and then the next morning, like for whatever reason, I think I had something on that night. It can't have been anything too important because COVID, but for whatever reason, I didn't I didn't hear it that night. And then I woke up the next morning and I was making breakfast, and I realized that Ghost was out, and I was like, oh great! So I ran over and I plugged it into the sound system and I started playing it, and I was kind of putting everything together and the song started and the chorus kicked in and I just looked up and I was like, Oh, there we are. <laughs> Here we go. Yes. And I loved it. You know, I listened to it and, and I, it just, it just was, it's such a great song. And I love the fact that it's this, this bombastic celebratory thrilling song about loss and about the melancholy of saying goodbye to somebody, but beginning to realize that somebody being gone doesn't mean somebody dying doesn't necessarily mean they're gone. And on a personal note, I guess, and this probably reflects why the album speaks to me so much. Uh, my grandmother passed away earlier in the year and it was only a couple of months after we'd gone over to Austria to actually see her and my grandfather. And even though, you know, they lived on the other side of the world, we were, we were really, really close with them growing up. You know, they came over quite a lot and, you know, I, I, you know, I've always, always adored my grandparents. And, you know, I mean, she was 90 and had had an amazing life. But I guess because I was never really close with my grandparents on my mother's side, I never really knew them. Uh, they passed away when I was very young. For a long time, I was dreading this, you know, I was really dreading this. And when it kind of happened, it was sort of this, this numb surprise that, you know, gave way to grief over the next few days. But I guess with everything that happened then and like talking to the family and around the funeral and everything, I just learned all these, these stories and these facts about her that I'd never known before. And it's through that, it kind of became okay for me because I realized that, and it's, maybe it's a cliche, but it's not made any, you know, the, the fact that it's a cliche doesn't eliminate the fact that it's true, but you realize, I think in the wake of somebody who means a lot to you passing away that all of the things that you took from them and all of the things that you loved about them and all of the things that they gave you and gave your life, they, they, they're not gone. They're always going to be there. And that person will always be a part of you and always shape you. And that so much is what this album speaks about. And so I think the fact that ghosts managed to find this hopeful, defiant, joyful way of looking at losing somebody by saying you know it's just your ghost and it's not nothing to be scared of you know you're the you know the the boots come down the hall but never arise but you're there you know you're you're there and you're with me and i need you by my side and you always will be and i will draw strength and love and power and hope from the fact that i knew you and from the fact that you were part of my life and from what you gave to me and that doesn't change even though you're gone and the fact that the whole album speaks to that idea and examines it and examines it from different angles. And, you know, it goes from, you know, from melancholy with one minute you're here to, you know, joyful with ghosts. And then finally to somewhere in between with I'll see you in my dreams, which is such a beautiful song. You know, I I really took a lot out of this album. You know, I really, I, I love the fact that Bruce Springsteen has written what amounts to an album about death and loss. And yet it is so, you know, I listened to it the day I first listened to it. I just thought this is a gift, you know, and what you were talking about before about Bruce delivering this album at this time, you know, this, this was a gift, you know, this is something that really has meant a lot to so many people. And so many people have loved letter to you and have just responded to it so well and have said it's exactly what they needed at this time. And the fact that it's 
It's all of those things, and yet it is an album about death. Yes. How do you do that? How do you pull off that trick? Yeah. Like, only Bruce Springsteen could successfully do that and do it so well. And, you know, I just, I was, when I listened to the album through for the first time and I finished it and I was like, as somebody who loved Western Stars but thinks this album is better, I was so pleasantly surprised but so grateful that this, and and on top of that, and we can get more into this in a moment, but the fact that the 370s songs just completely fit, like the fact that they don't feel out of place at all, they just completely feel part of the whole. I, I, I don't know how he pulled this off and yet somehow... He just did in five days in the studio with his band. And what I, I've said this a couple of times um, as I was listening to it. And, uh, you know, if I was a priest, you know, I'm like that. This is what Outlaw Pete, I think, was trying to be. Yes, absolutely. You know, like this epic Western tale. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. you know, and I know there's a lot of metaphors in there, but. It 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 just it really felt good, and then, um, you know, in the power of prayer, and that that there, and I I've said this to a couple of people. I said, you know, um, I can close my eyes listening, and I see the band coming on stage, and them going into burning train to start off a show, and you just could just you could just see the place going crazy, um. You know, in kind of the same time when when they were doing the river tour and they did the box set and you had Meet Me in the City, right? And that was like, oh, man, what a great show song to start. Um, this is – and it's a very quintessential, you know, Springsteen album. I mean, it is – it has all the parts of it and, and it's his vocals, but it, it appears that – um, you know, everyone's doing their part in building this Absolutely. together. That they they all feel, you know, they're there to make their part of making this mosaic, which is the E Street Band. Um, and it is really a great gift, as everything that's gone wrong this year, and all the all the death and all the pain and all the social unrest. Um, to have an album that I know a lot of people do say that this is him, you know, this may be looking back and saying goodbye, but I think it's no, it's just the next chapter in his life. And I wanted to mention, you know, you lost your, your grandmother and I, I certainly know that pain. And I remember when they were, they were going to do the wrecking ball tour and, um, e Street Radio did the the broadcast from the Apollo Theater, and that was the first time that when they were doing My City of Ruin, you know, he stopped in the middle and said, you know, are we missing anybody? You know, and the crowd went crazy, and they're like, are we missing anybody? And he says, well, all I know is if 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 you're here and we're here, they're here. Yeah. And um, and as someone who's lost. You know, I've lost my grandparents, and I was like you. I was very close to both my grandfather and my grandmother on my mom's side, um, and I've lost both my father and my stepfather. I always think of that when I'm pre-COVID, when there's a whole gang of us in the room. You know, you're with family, and you're you're laughing and you're joking, and you know, and you'll say, oh, "I just like Linda's dad uh, and mom." We'll say, "God, wouldn't Raymond and Margaret love this?" And we're like, well, they're here, you know, yeah, they're here. absolutely. And absolutely. so I, I and the, the whole point of that, right, is I feel that spirit in this new album of, you know, Ghost, it, they're still here. You know, Danny and Clarence are at their side as they're recording, as they're performing. And that's amazing. Yeah, and I think I think that shows that that you know for for all that I was critical of the documentary, I think that does show you know that, I mean the way that they're referred to, and that that presence, I I think is unquestionably or it's always going to be part of East Street, and in some ways it's like that those beautiful moments when when he performs live and he does Tenth Avenue Freeze Out and he says you know the change was made uptown the big man joins the band silence right and every time you know it's goosebumps, but it's like it it, it almost in a weird way it's like that absence 
becomes a presence of its own kinds and and sort of I, I don't even really know how to articulate that well but like you know draws I guess drawing your focus to what's what's not there allows you to almost fill in the blanks in a way and, and to be aware of that spirit being there and the ways in which it informs and it energizes and it becomes part of the whole and I, I think that Bruce understands that uniquely well I, agree. I mean as this album is evidence of I think yeah um, you've kind of mentioned a few, but are there any specific tracks that really spoke to you or things that oh, surprised man. you? Um, I mean, if I'm working through the album, you know, uh, when, you know, when it starts with, uh, with one minute you're here again, you know, I mean, Bruce is, Bruce is so good at making his statement, you know, a statement of intent at the start of every yes. album, you know, and it was similar with, um, with hitchhiking at the start of Western stars, uh, one minute you're here, here. So the moment you listen to, it, you can't listen to it. You kind of get a sense of what you're settling in for. Um, as I suspected, letter to you was unlocked a little bit for me by hearing the whole album around it and by kind of realizing in context, what its role is, yeah. uh, you know, um, going from there, you know, Jane needs a shooter is great. Uh, um, Last Man Standing is a beautiful, beautiful song. Burning Train, you mentioned before, is I think it was like the moment when, you know, because the jury's kind of still out, always out a little bit when you start listening to something. And, you know, I listen to One Minute You Hear and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, like really, really lovely song and sort of sets the tone. Listen to Letter to You. I'm like, right, I've heard this before. You know, when I'm listening to it for the first time, the whole album. And then when Burning Train kicks in, it was about half of that song that I was like, oh, no, we're good. We're in safe yeah, hands. Yes, this is, yes. this is going to be a good album. This is, yeah. that's just a great song. You know, it's just, um, it's just an absolute barnstormer of a song. It's so good. I, I would, I guess, um, if I'm being honest, the songs that I would be inclined to skip in, you know, uh, I guess the, the Sleepy Joe's Cafe of the, of the album, I, and it, it's probably controversial, but I think I, I find House of a Thousand Guitars and The Power of Prayer just a little bit too corny. Um, okay. and, and I know that – and I, I don't – again, you know, I, always the policy of, you know, I I think that, you know, it's Bruce. I'm, I'm going to yeah. listen to it. I'm going to enjoy it. I already right. know every lyric to both songs. You know, it's – but right. I guess in amongst the rest of it, which I think is quite a nuanced look at what it's talking about – I, I, but I, that said, I, you know, I, I think there's some beautiful lyricism at work in Power of Prayer. I think that the vulnerability in Bruce's voice at the end of the House of a Thousand Guitars, I've never heard that from him. Right. Uh, but, you know, and, and then Rainmaker, I guess, is like, you know, insofar as it's probably the anti-Trump song and it sounds a little bit like it's maybe an outtake from Wrecking Ball, though, even though that's pre-Trump. I I guess that's kind of a hint of the album that he very easily could have made, like the protest yes. album, which I'm I think you know I'm really glad he didn't because at this point what difference would it have made? And you know I don't think another sort of anti-Trump diatribe is what anybody needs at this stage because exactly. I think people are kind of uh, you know the divisions. Uh, I mean you 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 in the states definitely could speak to this with far more awareness than I can, but, you know, the division that's taken place over there has definitely bled into other countries and it's definitely present in Australia. And I think at this point, people are so, so kind of battened down with what their perspectives are on, on, on him and what he stands for and everything that I just don't think uh, that album would have made any difference. And I, and Bruce knows that, you know, he's, he said in yeah. some interviews, like it would have been the most boring album in the world had he done that. Yes. So, you know, I mean, I, I think Rainmaker kind of gives you like, and I like Rainmaker. I think it's got, you know, I think the, the fact that it makes the point instead of doing what everybody's doing and saying, Oh, well, Trump supporters, are you know, X and Y and Z it's saying that oh, sometimes people just need to believe in something so bad that they turn to a charlatan, which is what yes. has happened essentially. Exactly. And I think that's, that's a nuanced perspective on it. But, but then, you know, I definitely was went after Rainmaker when you get into that final stretch of the album where, you know, it's just, just absolute, you know, you know, just great song after great song. Like, you know, if I was the, if I were the priest, amazing. Uh, Ghosts, obviously we've spoken about before. Song for Orphans. I love Song for Orphans. Like, yes. and that was, that was one I think was unlocked by the documentary for me. Like when he sort of talks about it and, and the fact that it comes so late in the album and you realize that it's, it's kind of this, this song written at the very start of his career about realizing that this is my moment and this is my time and I'm about to claim that. 
And, you know, to, to put that song at the end of this album that in, in many ways is summational, I think is a really clever move because, you know, you sort of, by, by bringing back to those early, even like pre-greeting songs in a way that evokes the Castiles without actually being Castile songs was an incredibly savvy choice and it enriches the album and it, cr- it creates this almost full circle feeling that I think is so effective and so powerful. And then ending on I'll See You In My Dreams, which you know, I guess, I guess answers the question that is asked so beautifully by one minute you're here, where it's at the end. So, and you know, the, 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 like the similar to ghosts, but I think almost in a more moving and more nuanced way, the way he says, like the, the, the kind of, you know, there's the crack in his voice as he sings death, the death is not the end, but the conviction and the belief of him being like, no, this is my statement. I'll see you in my dreams. You'll be there. I mean, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that yeah, song, absolutely. you know, it's and it, it's like it has that same quality as you know born to run like thunder road is my all-time favorite song of all time i don't i don't see that ever changing it would it would be have to be a very special song exactly. that would bump thunder road off off my number one for me but if i listen to thunder road you can bet i will then be listening to the rest of born to run yes and as much as i love every single song on born to run they're, they're, and each of the as parts of a greater whole they are all fantastic but when you listen to them in succession, you know, the way that you go from, you know, she's the one into meeting across the river and then meeting across. You, you can't listen to Jungle Land without having meeting across the river as a precursor. But if you're going to do that, then you might as well have she's the one. And then you kind of need Born to Run before that. And then you need Backstreets to kind of put you on the downer before you go up into the upper of Born to Run. And, and suddenly the whole album becomes, you know, you can't. Yeah. I, I, it's at the point now where, like, I can't really take any of those songs in isolation because they work together in concert so well. And that's. Similar to how I feel about a lot of Bruce albums, but very much how I feel about this one in that, you know, I'll See You In My Dreams is a great song, but when you listen to it at the end of the journey of the rest of the album, similar to how if you listen to One Minute You're Here as the start of a journey as opposed to an isolation, they are so enriched. And, you know, overall, I just think it is such a successful piece of work. And I'm so, so grateful that we got it at this time, at this point. And the fact that, you know, he never bet against Bruce, you know, he has an album as distinct and as singular and as striking as Western stars. And then comes back just over a year later with one, you know, that's even more vital that was done in five days. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't be happier with it. You know, when you think about, and I know he was 70 when he recorded it, but you know, he's 71 and he's releasing something new, something vital, something different is um impressive um the the idea of not resting on your laurels the idea of still stretching and and having the guys and and patty there and they're all working together and striving um i did find it a little um sad is the wrong word but i kind of bittersweet to hear them talking about touring right yeah, like you know like yeah, you know, they're all excited and uh and i think i i know he misses he misses the audience as much as the audience misses him absolutely i think, I think he want and so uh that is good um so has this influenced you to do something um, you're always creative and you're always doing something, but has this opened a new kind of channel for you or you're already pretty busy working on something else? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to be, to be busy and I've been busy all through COVID, which is good. Um, but I, so I just finished a new manuscript, uh, a couple of weeks ago for my second, I've got, so I've got two. So The Hunted has already come out, and then I've got a second adult book, which I'm in the middle of edits and rewrites on at the moment. But then I've also got two young adult books coming out with HarperCollins as well, the first of which comes out in April next year, and the second of which I just finished my first draft of recently. So I'm currently buried in rewrites and edits of on The Inheritance, which is the sequel to The Hunted. But I will say that I'm very glad that Letter to You came out when it did, because Western Stars was very much the soundtrack to my rewrites and my edits on The Hunted, you know, particularly chasing. I think I alluded to this the last time we spoke, um, the fact that there was one particular scene which actually ended up getting cut from the book, sadly. But I think the 
you know, in, in the spirit of talking about uh, the ghost of something remaining present, I think what that scene was about remains infused throughout the book. But there's one scene that I wrote while listening to Chasing Wild Horses. And, you know, I think that the the soul of that album is in a lot of ways infused in The Hunted and in the more melancholic parts of The Hunted because it was so key to me writing those parts and defining the mindset. And so I'm kind of hoping that Letter to You uh, ends up ends up having a similar effect on The Inheritance. Okay. I don't know if thematically they're quite as aligned because, you know, one of the key aspects of The Hunted was an older man weighed down with regret who kind of feels like his life has gone in the wrong direction, who finds a sort of last ditch sliver of hope that he can grasp at in the most horrifying of circumstances. So it lined up really nicely with Western stars. I don't know if the inheritance and letter to you line up quite the same way, but you know, I mean, the great thing about Springsteen is that, you know, you, you find, you can find inspiration in the most unlikely of sources and you can find that songs that you would never expect speak to other projects in ways that you you couldn't have anticipated. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if something there happened. So I guess the very short answer to, to distill that very long rambling response is that there hasn't been a specific thing I've been inspired to do based on Letter to You, but I, I would be very surprised if it didn't end up influencing the stuff I'm doing now in some huge way, especially given how much I'm listening to that at the moment. Very nice, very nice. Um, any final thoughts to share? Oh, no, I, I kind of feel like I'm... Um, I mean, I was I was so keen to come on the show and talk about it because I just have so few people, particularly, you know, given that we're all so socially distanced right yeah. now, I have so few people who I can just, you know, talk to who have, you know, similar passion that I have, you know, towards towards Bruce you know there, there aren't many people in my friendship circle who would be rushing out to listen to the letter to you on the day it came out and listening yes. to it you know three times that day and then you know at least once or twice every day thereafter uh so I just kind of wanted the opportunity to talk about it and talk about how much it meant to me and talk about how beautiful it was yes. and and it's just it's just so I don't know it's just it's it's so I always love coming on the show Jesse because it's just like you know to to share this but to hear your perspectives on it to hear you know the, the things that that you've taken away from other guests and friends and everything. Yeah. And just to kind of that, that magic of realizing that this, this distinct feeling that I have taken away from this work is something that is shared by so many other people who are finding similar hope and inspiration and joy and magic in this album. I, I, I love it. I just absolutely love it. Well, I, I love having you on and uh, Ken Rosen, who I mentioned earlier before, you know, uh, was nice enough to write up a, um, to write up an article about my fifth anniversary for Backstreet's, you know, website. And he talked about in the interview process, he said that, that because of COVID we're all missing connections. And he thinks that one of the thing my podcast does the best is help us have this connection that by having other fans on the show and you listening to them, tell their stories and us sharing stories that you've, you've, kind of get that connection that we're missing because we can't go to shows together. We can't have that, you know, we, we can't meet in the queue and to, or in the pit or even in the line to get a beer and share a story. Oh, you know, how many times have you seen Bruce? Oh, I've seen him this. And Oh, can you believe this? And what are you hoping he's going to do play? And so, uh, I appreciate you being on here and I'm very excited. Um, and good luck on the new novel. Uh, Thanks. I'm, I think I'm going to need it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you said your editor was, you know, like. Yeah. You know, she was. She was pretty tough on it. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot of work to do. Yeah. But uh, you know, that's okay. That's uh, you know, as they say, uh, sometimes that that has to happen. Uh, well, um, anytime. Just reach out, and we'll figure it out. And uh, you're welcome anytime. We always love having you on there. Um, and so. If someone wants to reach you, how can they? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at uh, GoBergMoser, so G-O-Bergmoser, uh, and actually Instagram and pretty much every other social media the same. Otherwise, my website, if you want to see some of my work, uh, including my Bruce Springsteen radio play, is uh, www.gabrielbergmoser.com, so pretty straightforward. And in the play section, there's links to audio adaptations of all of my plays that have been adapted for audio. Uh, there's also a link to get the script for my Springsteen play. So if there's any theater companies out there that want to do it, uh, feel free. Um, it's I'm, I'm really proud of it. I think it's a, 
you know, it's something that I, you know, I put a lot of work into at the time and I haven't revisited it in quite a long time. But, um, yeah, if you're interested in checking it out, then please do and let me know your thoughts. I really do recommend it. It was it and I have not listened to it since the original time. And now then I kind of an itch to scratch that again. So, yes, absolutely. Please, please let Gabriel know what you think of it. Uh, please check out his books. And uh, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it so much. It is always a joy to visit with you. Thanks so much for having me, Jesse. All right. You, listeners, please stay safe. Uh, Remember to social distance. Wash your hands. uh, Wear an effing mask. And uh, be good to each other because, good, you know, heaven knows we need it. For now, be good, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.